Hi there, everyone. Hope you're well. I hope you're having a good week. Welcome to the Sports Stories podcast. This is episode 39, and this is the second to last uh, episode of the series. So I hope you enjoy it. Furthermore, I hope you've enjoyed the, the backlog of episodes. And if you have missed out on some of the previous shows, please go to the website, which is www.sportsstories247.com, and you can catch up on what you might have missed. Now, last week's episode was with Kev Nicholson. Now, the feedback and the comments we've received have been absolutely fantastic. I really appreciate them because they really do make a difference to both myself in terms of what we're delivering, but also to hear how the, uh, the guests and their stories are being received. Now, the feedback from Kev in terms of his journey through uh, a career in football, some of the sacrifices, the highs and the lows, but also the real key point about him really trying to be present and be himself in the moment struck true. So uh, thanks again for all that feedback. I'd really like to also offer out a really huge thanks to Ian Braid, one of our previous guests on the Sports Stories podcast, but also one of our keen listeners who have really offered us some feedback in terms of the quality of the guests, in terms of their genuineness and their stories and, and trusting the process in terms of really bringing out their value uh, and asking the key questions at the right time. So thanks, Ian. We really appreciate that. Now, today's guest is um, one I'm really, really looking forward to. I have with me Lou Englefield. Lou is the founding director of Pride Sports, which is a UK LGBTIQ plus sport development and inclusion organization. Now, what you will find with Lou is she's really engaging, very interesting and incredibly thought provoking. And what you will get today is some real great questions and some of the topic areas we cover will really make you think. So for me, this is an episode really not to miss, to sit back and really engage in. I'm so pleased and excited to have Lou with me because she will share her story in a very honest and humble way with her energy and passion. But what she will also do, I'm sure, is touch on some of the areas which are often unspoken or, or difficult to go to. Areas to do with inclusion, lack of opportunities, use of terminology, things to do with volunteering in a, in a sport-based voluntary organisation where times are often really tough, and also sexuality. Lou will share many stories and I'm pretty sure you'll have a great time listening in. So what I would encourage you to do is listen in to not just what she says, but also how she says it. She's a senior leader in an organisation which I believe has been groundbreaking. So without further ado, I'd just like to introduce and wish a very warm welcome to Lou Englefield, the founding director of Pride Sport, which is a fantastic organisation working in the area and the community of LGBTIQ+, and many other areas in football. So, I'd just like to wish a very warm welcome to Lou. Lou, welcome to the Sports Stories podcast, and thanks so much for giving up your time. Uh, I appreciate this is a really busy time of the year, and I'm sure we'll come on to some of your busyness, as it were, later on in the uh, in the podcast. But, oh, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, thanks for giving up your time anyway, because, you know, no I'm really excited to talk to you and, and find out a little bit more about you, to be fair. I'm going to start where we start with most of my guests is, you know, can you give us a bit of an introduction to maybe yourself, but also, you know, your formative years? How did you get involved with sport and, you know, what was the family background like around that? Um, so, so my name's Lou Englefield and I'm a director of um, an LGBTIQ plus sports development and inclusion organisation called Pride Sports. Um, and in that role, I'm also the campaign director of Football Versus Homophobia. Um, in my spare time, um, wow. in, my, in my spare time, I'm also a board member of the FAIR Network, which is football's global anti-discrimination network. 
and um, and I'm also a chair of Pride House International, which is um, a small um, charity that um, works to support the delivery of Pride Houses at global sports events. So, Lou, do you have any spare time? <laughs> no, not a lot, because I also live on a five-acre small holding, and that takes up all my spare time. So, oh, gosh, so you, you're clearly really busy, um, and yeah. you, you've got an, a huge involvement in sport. But let's go back to sort of early days, and then we'll come to all yeah. of that. But you know, how did you get into working in sport, or what was your experience of sport as a, a young child? Well, I think my experience of sport as a young child was. Um, uh, you know, it was quite varied, to be honest. So I, I was kind of, you know, um, uh, you know, there was nothing that I was particularly outstanding at, but I was a good hockey player at, for school. I captain our, captained our hockey team. Um, and, um, uh, um, and, and also I threw shot um, as well. Um, I put shot um, for our school. Um, I think, you know, because I was the really big kid, so they were like, oh, what should we do with her? Oh yeah, she can, she'll, she can be a thrower. But I didn't really have the coordination to do javelin. I was absolutely rubbish at that. And, um, and, I, don't, and I don't also, don't, I know now as an adult, that I don't have like a lot of explosive power. I'm a, I'm, I'm a kind of, you know, I'm all about going the distance, not getting there very quickly. So, um, so actually, uh, you know, they, you put a shot in my hand, woo! And I, you know, I could just about do that, especially, you know, if I was thinking about someone I was a bit cross with at the time, you know. Um, but I, I was really lucky because my dad was really sporty. Right. He was a teacher. He was, he was really into drama and really into sport at the same time, which was, you know, I suppose it's quite unusual in some ways, you know sports and arts crossover yeah. um but he used to do things like for example so i put shot for school and before we had a big competition i would bring the shot put home with me in my school bag and then my dad would like mark out a throwing circle in the back garden and i would just like you know just you know practice and practice and practice in the back garden um, but also we were we I grew up on the south coast um, on the edge of the New Forest and uh, near the Solent, which is, you know, you know, one of Europe's busiest kind of like um, sailing areas. And, uh, and we grew up sailing. So, oh, wow. you know, on a on a Saturday, you know, every Saturday I used to go to Hyde Sailing Club in Southampton Water and um, and. and get in my mirror dinghy to start with and um, and race against these guys who were like, you know, in their, in their flying 15s, you know, these monstrous like racing dinghies. And I'd potter along in my, you know, in, in my in my mirror. And even with a handicap, I'd lose terribly, you know. <laughs> but um, but yeah, that, that was, you know, every weekend we sailed. Every, every weekend during the season, we raced um, as well, you know, um, but, um, but yeah, not, not, you know, and sometimes I crewed for people in faster boats, um, but generally, um, you know, um, at a sailing club, uh, in those days anyway, everyone raced against everybody and you would have a handicap if you were in a 
in a slower boat and um and that, the idea was that that kind of bumped bumped up your potential to to do okay but it never seemed to work <laughs> were, were you were you competitive then as a, a young person you know it sounds like you had a, an opportunity to have a go at different sports there but you know what what how how did you sort of turn up to sport well you know it's really funny because i think one of the things about my dad was that, you know, again, in retrospect, I look back on it and he was that one of those absolute nightmares that you would never want to be a sports dad, you know. So he would do things like race you and beat you when you stood no chance, uh, no chance of winning against him. And, and literally, this is so, this is kind of quite embarrassing. So this is, this is the culture that I grew up in. I can remember still now at my age when I was like, I think about 20, 20, no, 21. And um, I'd, I went on holiday with my dad to, um, to France. Yeah. I went on holiday with my parents. Um, and we were traveling, I think traveling through France and we went to a swimming pool. And I just finished writing my dissertation for uni and whilst I was writing my dissertation, I swam every day. So because I was writing for long hours, because obviously I left it all to the last minute, <laughs> I was every day at lunchtime, I was going to the pool and, you know, just knocking out lengths in the pool. And um, anyway, so then that summer we went on holiday and my dad was like, you know, we get in this municipal pool in France. And of course, my dad's like, right, first one to the other end, because that's what he was like. <laughs> and um, and uh, and we oh, and it was my favourite stroke, so it was breaststroke. So he's like first one to the other end, breaststroke, and I whooped him. Oh, it was like the best moment. It was absolutely, <laughs> absolutely brilliant. How did he take it? How did he take it? <laughs> well, he took it on the chin, to be fair. And he, he was like, "Blimey, you know, you must have been, um, you know." And I said, "What? Well, yeah." I was like, "Well, I've been swimming every day, haven't I? Do you know what I mean?" And of course, he hadn't. So. Um, but anyway, yeah. So, so to be honest, I think to be honest, um, I think I'm I'm not traditionally. You know, you would not think, oh, Lou Engelfield. You know, she's such a super competitive athlete. But I think we were brought up to be competitive. And now, if you ask anyone around me, they go, Lou, she's so competitive. <laughs> you know, but in my own little universe, do you yeah. know what I mean? And mainly against myself, you know. Okay. So. So where you know, did your competitiveness in sport take you? You know, how and what was your, your kind of journey? Did you did you just carry on doing recreational sports, trying different things out, or did you focus? You know, where did you go? No, I think well, I a, a few things happened. I think um, I think one of the things that happened to me was that I came out. So um, I think I found um, you know during high school you know sport was okay I then went to sixth form you know but it, it, it's all about opportunities as well isn't it because I think I then went to sixth form there wasn't really a hockey team I think I would have carried on playing hockey but there wasn't really a hockey team at sixth form um so uh, we played a bit of basketball yeah um you know and I was quite good at that so that was quite cool so I played yeah. that for a bit but it's <laughs> like that thing you know there, there was no real pathway for me I suppose. I, I, to, to be honest, I went and tried out for. I went and tried out at county hockey trials when I was okay. a kid, and I didn't get in. 
I was like second choice, which was a bit devastating. But, but you know, critically, I can see why I wasn't chosen, actually, because I hadn't been coached properly as a goalkeeper. So okay. when I looked, well, I can really distinctly remember watching the girl who was chosen and she was outstanding and had obviously been coached properly, you know, was sliding into, you know, shots and, you know, was, was really great. Whereas I was, came from a school where they were kind of like, you know, our PE teacher was like, oh, you know, get on the pitch, stick a load of pads on so and then dive around and try and get it. And I was try a bit get in more, the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. I was a bit more like a, a football goalkeeper than a hockey goalkeeper. I was all about my hands rather than about my legs, really. Right, so a bit raw kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally, totally. And I think, I think you know, when I when I um, look back on that, I just think, you know, um, and and maybe it's a time, uh, a, a kind of time difference thing. But but knowing the things I now know about sport, having been coached properly by people, and 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 uh, you know, um, I, I just look back on my childhood and just think you know, wow, it's all, it's a lottery, you know, it's all a complete lottery of sport and, and excellence. Um, because actually if people got, you know, if children got access to proper coaching and, yeah. and, and stuff, you know, uh, you know, they could fulfill their potential loads more. And also, you know, if you went, if you followed like an educational pathway in which, you know, the sport was consistent, that would help as well. And, and, and a whole load of other things, you know, like really important stuff like, you know, socioeconomic disadvantage, you know, um, issues around racism, <laughs> you know, the, the well, bigger the bigger picture. Well, the, the two words that strike me from what you said is kind of nearly is opportunities. Uh, and avenues actually and how how either they help you or they hinder you having the opportunities or the avenues open to you because you know by not having opportunities it sounds like you've had to find ways through in some way you know struggle well, uh, do, you know, do you know what if, if i'm really honest about it i think i'm a bit of a meanderer anyway uh, okay yeah because if you look at my career you know i know we've talked before and if, if you look at my career, my career is not straightforward. I did not leave you. I did not go to uni. I did not do sport. I did sociology. Right. I then worked in a whole range of um, third sector organisations and kind of really coincidentally, I've ended up working in sport. But of course, now with hindsight, I can think, well, yeah, I was really sporty as a kid. You know, we were, re we're a really active family. My mum's you know, 80 and has powered her way through lockdown by walking, you know, every single day, you know, she walks like five, five miles a day during lockdown around the Hampshire countryside, you know, so I can, I can see the links, I can see the kind of thread, but it's a thread that has meandered through my life, not, uh, you know, not a, like a direct, you know, they often, they often say, though, don't there's something about you can, you, you can only join the dots up looking back and you've kind of now joined yeah. them up, yeah. haven't you? Whereas yeah, going forward, absolutely. you didn't join them up, did you? Kind no, of, you no, 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 not at all. Not at all. Oh, God. But I think, you know, I think the last 15 years working in sport and loosely human rights yeah. have been my happiest work time, definitely. So it's interesting how I've kind of brought those two things together like a sense of social justice 
which I've had for a very, you know, I, I was brought up with that by my parents and then a love of sport and physical activity as well. So, so, so tell us a little bit about the human rights stuff and how you were brought up and why, did, why is that important to you or how did that kind of um, that energy come? Um, I think, um, well, I think there's a couple of things. I think both my parents were um, of their time really concerned with social justice, but right. still kind of, you know, it was, you know, the 70s and 80s. And actually, yeah. if you scratch the surface, <laughs> yeah. you know, they were, they were absolutely awful when I came out. You know, my right. mum stopped talking to me for a couple of years. Right. Um, but, um, but they were, you know, um, my dad was kind of like, um, a shop steward in a union and right. um and my mum was you know my mum was um the daughter of a miner so wow. you know my my family were mine workers um you know in the south wales collieries um and um you know and saw a lot of you know um i suppose and saw some social injustice kind right. of um play out amongst those communities really i mean you yeah. can still see it you know yeah, there's yeah. some of the poorest areas of the uk really so my parents were always kind of um concerned about those things my mum is um my mum's a christian right um and whilst that has been quite problematic in our relationship because then i came out as queer and you know she didn't really like that <laughs> to put it mildly <laughs> Um, actually, the the way in which my mother is a Christian is all about justice and grace, okay. and um, and you know treating people with you, you know with with absolute grace, yeah. I suppose. And, so, and, yeah. and how, can I and can I ask how old were you were you when you came out? Just so that kind of puts. Uh, a yeah, well, I I was um, I was quite old when I came out okay. because um, I was twenty. Either twenty or twenty-one. Um, I think um, I came out in nineteen eighty-eight. So, however old I was then. <laughs> yeah. um, and, let's not bother um, there. Well, let's just keep moving. <laughs> <on. laughs> yes, for, for edit that bit out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah. So anyway, I um, so I was quite late coming out, and because I just think I I wasn't really exposed to. Right the idea that you could be queer. I didn't right. know anything about it. And well, I suppose all depictions of it were completely negative, yeah. all there to be laughed at. So, you know, um, oh, you know, what was the cat? Mr. Humphreys in Are You Being Served? Yeah, and, gosh. You, you know, maybe I'm even, that's too old for you. But, no, you know, it doesn't, no, I get that one. <laughs> yeah, so just these kind of, you, you know, um, and I, I think, it, in an unspoken way, maybe um, LGBT plus people were not to be trusted. You know that there were, um, uh, and that was in my sort of like teenage years. And I kind of didn't, you, you know. So, so, so I kind of came out. I well, no, I didn't come out. So what happened was I was a teenager like everyone else. Started experimenting. Yeah. Had you know. Went out with a couple. Went out with a couple of lads. Yeah. Um, thought, oh, this is really disgusting. What am I going to do about this? Because 
for me, what, what was a really important thing, even as a kind of adolescent, was to be yeah. able to have a family yeah. and to be able to have children. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is a nightmare. How am I going to have a family this, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and have, have children when actually there's just no way I'm going to, you know, have a relationship with a guy? It's just, oh, you know, yeah. it's just terrible. So, um, so, and so it took me kind of, a, you know, I started having those thoughts, I think, when I was about 14. Okay. Well, yeah. it took me another sort of six or seven years to leave my parents home to yeah, see yeah. a little bit more of the world and think oh hang on a minute there are some possibilities here yeah. and um and you know and to think you know perhaps there is another life that i can live so but it took a long time because it was you, you know and and i'm not uncommon i know i now know from working yeah. in the sector that you know and Till about 2010, I think 21 was the average age of Is coming right? out. Okay. Yeah, Gosh. yeah. Yeah, and, and clearly it takes some time for people to sort of unravel that and their, their whole system that they're in, you know, feeling comfortable by the sounds of it. Yeah, I think it does. And I think that, um, and I think it, it it's changed you know, it's changed. So now yeah. the average age of coming out is about 15 or 16. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. And, um, and I think that's because, you know, yeah. children, um, you know, young people now, you know, they get to the age where they start having sort of, you know, sexual or romantic feelings towards people. Yeah. And because there's not the same level of shame attached to it and the same level of silence around yeah. it, it's a bit, you know, that that whole thing is a bit more fast tracked. Yeah. yeah. So, you, you know, um, I mean, I know people of my generation, like, a, you know, a friend of mine who knew, you know, and I think in, in retrospect, but, you, you know, had always known that he liked men yeah. and that he didn't really like women. And yeah. that wasn't a sexual thing to start with. It was just a, a you know, like a, are being drawn to, to yeah. people, you yeah. know, and then never ever thought about having girlfriend, you know, just as soon as he was a teenager, even in those days, he just knew that he was yeah. gay. He was just knew that that's where his attraction True. lay. Yeah. You know, whereas I was a bit like, oh, you know, I didn't like men, but I didn't even think about liking women. women. <laughs> I was just like, <laughs> you know. And, and Lou, those sort of late teenage experiences, you know, early 20s, how did that impact on, you know, your direction then? Because I know you've, you've done some amazing and different jobs, but then you've obviously worked your way back in towards working in sports. So how, how did that all pan out around then? Um, well, um, in a very circuitous way, I did sociology at uni and um, which I think, you know, in retrospect was a really good fit with who I was, but okay, I wasn't yeah. aware of that at the time. Yeah. And then I kind of came out, so because, and because I did sociology and um, I was like the women's officer for the okay. National Union of Students at my uni. Brilliant. <laughs> and I hung out with a, I kind of like, I got feminism, you know, I suddenly yeah. got feminism when I was about 20. <laughs> and um, so I hung out with a load of other feminists and queer people and, you know, musicians and, you know, like we were, we were all, we, you know, I went to uni in a small town. Right. I was a little, a little bit older because I'd kind of failed my A-levels a couple of times because <laughs> I was so embroiled with my struggle around Your my world, identity. yeah, working it out. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. 
and that we were a real kind of mixture of people who, you know, we were these misfits from the local town who kind of like hung out together. Some of us were students, some of us were fashion designers, some of us were potters, you know, and we were, you know, we were feminists, we were queer, we were, you know, lefties, we were, we, you know, people with no politics at all. Sure, we were yeah. just like, you know, you know, this bunch of different people. people. And, um, and I suppose I kind of, you know, hanging out with those people, um, and then kind of like moving on from uni, I um, I thought, what can I do? And I, I moved to Nottingham and ended up getting a job. I volunteered all summer at Nottingham Women's Centre. Nottingham had this really big, big, big uh, women's centre. It's got like a, a dance space in it, the, you know, this massive yeah. kind of like sports hall space and you know, workshops on the ground floor and a crash and all these, a play scheme, all these things. So I volunteered there all summer um, and did things like drove the, the play scheme bus, nice. got my green card and drove the bus off to Scunthorpe or somewhere, you know, yeah. <laughs> I don't know, wherever. Um, and um, and then um, and then a job came up as the admin worker there. So, you know, I've got no work experience. Well, I've got loads, of, I'd always worked as a kid, you know, but I've got no proper work experience. So um, I applied for that and I got that job. And I did that for about nine months. And then a job came up as a, um, a resettlement worker at a local housing group. Yeah. And, um, and so I applied for that because it was a bit more interesting than being an admin worker, basically. Yeah. And because um, some, some of the, the people that I was around at that time worked in housing and homelessness. Right. So they were kind of like, oh, yeah, why didn't you go for that? You'd be great at that. So, 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 so I'm hearing meandering again, really, just going from yeah, wherever no, came totally. to place. Yeah. yeah Rather than actually totally. driving a, a direction. It, you went yeah, where the yeah. energy took you kind of stuff. Yeah, totally. I, I think... I think this is the common theme is I wanted to do things that made a difference. Okay. So whatever I've done, you know, so whatever I've done, it has been about trying to make a difference, I suppose. Yeah. And I suppose that would be a common, that's a kind of common thread. Right. So when this housing thing came up, I was like, great, great. It's a job where I can help resettle homeless people into their own homes. How exciting is that? And, it, you know, so I'll do that for a bit. So I started doing that and I did that for about maybe a year. I don't know. And and then the, another job came up and the the other job that came up was um, was a development worker for a really exciting housing project in Nottingham that was called Emergency Accommodation for Women. And it was basically a kind of hostel that young women could access um that was safer than just the kind of usual hostels mixed environments so it was a place that young women could go to kind of escape domestic violence or you know um uh, if their young women were street homeless that they could go it wasn't a refuge uh, but it was somewhere that they could they that, that they could go and stay for like a period of six to eight weeks 
during which time they then might get rehoused by the council. Right. And, um, and so basically, um, I applied for that job because by this time I was working in homelessness and it also sounded really exciting. It was kind of like, you've got to raise loads of money and you've got to write a load of policies and you've also got to liaise with architects and think about, you know, accessible design, you know, right. all these other things. And I thought, God, that sounds amazing. So I applied for that, and um, and I ended up getting it. I don't think I don't think I was the first choice. Actually, there was something <laughs> dodgy going on. I think somebody else got it and then turned it down, and I, so I was second. So I got it. Anyway, but you made the most of it. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. It started me off on my career. So I did again. That was um, a, only a short-term contract. It was for like two and a half years. Yeah. So, um, so I did that for uh, two and a half years. What, what I'm really conscious of here is, you know, is you, you mentioned about the group of people that you, you were hanging around with and being with. And, yeah. you know, you mentioned them in, in the world of sort of politics or not politics, around religion, around arts and crafts and all of those sort of things. But I never heard you talk around mixing with people in sport and was that type of person in that group not in sport or was it not acceptable at that stage or how did you find that being a, a in, yeah. internally a sporty person well so this was this was <laughs> this is my thing i think when i went to okay. uni so i went to uni i still haven't come out yeah um i joined the hockey team because um, I joined the hockey team because in my first year, because hockey, you know, it was my sport. Yeah. Um, and I went along to a couple of games, you know, you know, it was part of Bucks, Bucks existed, you know, that whole kind yeah, of yeah, yeah. intra-uni thing. Um, I went to a couple of games and my abiding memory of that was that I found it really really difficult because at that time and I found this I, I found there was some stuff about this during my hockey playing career as a teenager as well yeah um but um in in kind of because you know I played for a club outside of school yeah um was that um at the uni um at, um, at the uni hockey club there was a bit of a uh don't ask don't tell yeah. kind of culture yeah. in women's sport at the time, which I think is only starting to disappear now, to yeah. be honest. Yeah. Um, and I think that there were, you know, quite a few lesbians or, you know, I don't know, maybe four or five lesbians on the, the uni hockey team, yeah. but no one spoke about yeah. it. And I went along and it was me on my own, you know, for the first time and I didn't know anybody. And if I didn't have the analysis that I have now, I would have just said, oh, it was really cliquey. But looking back on it in recent years, I've realised that the reason it was really cliquey was because all the lesbians were being lesbians, but not talking about it. Okay. Because it was so, you know, oh, you know, you don't want to give women's sport a bad name. Yeah, and we don't no, talk about this stuff. No, yeah, 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 totally. So basically, I went to uni and, and two things happened. You know, I, I played hockey and there were a load of lesbians who didn't talk about being lesbians, were really closeted and the whole situation I found really unpleasant and terrifying. Right, yeah. And then 
I uh, and then I met a load of feminists. Right. And some of them were queer and they all talked about it. Right. You know, and there well, was a lot of tension there kind of going on then, isn't there? You're getting yeah, pulled in different yeah. directions. Yeah. yeah, yeah, completely. So I, at that point in my life, being a lesbian to me, being queer to me was more important. It was a bit like, yeah. you know, like, I'm not going to get all grandiose about this, but, you know, I read the, the you know, I read the biographies of people like Robbie Rogers, you know, yeah. the footballer who felt that he had to leave football rather just to be able to be gay. You know, he was a professional player. It wasn't like that for me at all. Yeah. But it, there did come a point when I was at uni at the end, at the beginning of, or middle of my second year, when I just thought, you know, where I came out and the type of lesbian I wanted to be was not a hockey lesbian. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I didn't want to be like running around making silly little in jokes and yeah. making everyone feel excluded because, because I, you know, because, and those women did that because they couldn't be themselves. Yeah, they had to do that really because of yeah, what, yeah. the constraints they were put in in some ways. Yeah, 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 yeah totally. And, yeah. And, and the constraints that they, put on themselves, Self. I think, eventually. Yeah. So for me, it felt like at that point, there was just such a divide between sporty lesbians, I don't want to be a sporty lesbian because I don't want to be in the closet, or feminist lesbians. I want to be them because they talk about it, you yeah. know? So and promote so, it and talk about it and educate and you know, yeah, engage yeah, with. I wouldn't just be, you know, be, we were just yeah. able just to be. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and, and you know, and I mean, it, it, it's, you know, so I fell, I absolutely fell away from sport at that time. Yeah. But, you know, the bearing, this is bearing in mind, we were all really, you know, amongst my little troop of diverse people who weren't sporty. I mean, we were all really active. We all cycled everywhere. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we'd spend out, you know, weekends, we'd all cycle off into the countryside and sit, sit in a field, you know, 10, 12 miles away and have a picnic and then all cycle home again and stuff. Yeah. So, you know, so I was getting, you know, we also walked as well. So I spent a so lot of time. you were active, weren't you? But yeah, in, yeah. In, not in your traditional sports sense, which yeah. is yeah. actually, you know... Brilliant stuff. Yeah, 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 totally. You know, you're painting a, a brilliant picture about that those sort of university years where, it, for me, it really sounded like a, a, a clear direction and purpose was unfolding, you know, and, and how did you then take that forward into the work that you're now doing around, you know, with, with Pride Sport? How did, how did that gap sort of fill between there and now? Uh, well, um, there were there was a whole load of stuff in between okay. doing this housing job and yeah. and working at Pride Sports. But I basically fell into Pride Sports. Uh, I was working for um, I, I ended up um, taking some time out to okay. have my second um, daughter. Okay, lovely. And and when I when I went back to work, I needed to dip my toe in the water. I've been out of work for three years, yeah. and you know in. Uh, in the work that I was doing, you know, things changed really, really quickly. So in housing, things had really changed um, during that time. And I didn't feel very confident. So I ended up um, thinking, well, what can I do to kind of get me, you know, to get my mojo back, you know, in the yeah. workplace? And a job came up um, working for an LGBT um, IQ plus um, charity. 
um, that was about holistic health and well-being. And they used to do things like run retreats and weekends away and, um, and a whole load of stuff. And one of the things that they did was they had recently started doing was um, they set up a badminton club um, yeah. in Manchester. Anyway, so I did that for a, I did that for a few years, um, and um, and uh, for for various reasons, the charity had moved. You know, blah blah blah, funding issues, various things. The charity wasn't very sustainable. It had originally been out in Cheshire and it moved into Manchester and that was slightly the death of it, to be honest. Okay. But anyway, um, by the time I left, um, we'd done some great stuff, but also we'd set up, um, you know, we'd really developed this badminton offer in Manchester. We'd also set up, um, like, um, helped set up um, an LGBTIQ plus um, dance uh, group in Manchester ballroom dance group um you know we, and we'd um uh, we'd help support the establishment of a volleyball club so um so you know I was getting drawn into sport basically okay yeah yeah uh, um, and, and then um, and then what happened was that um that in I think 2005 um, a, a bunch of volunteers from the local LGBTIQ plus swim group, Northern Wave, put on um, an international um, tournament. Um, so there are, just so to give people some background, there are um, community events all over Europe in non-COVID times, like literally every weekend of the year. So there'll be what are called city tournaments. So there's like a really famous one called the, the, the Christmas tournament in Frankfurt that happens at the beginning of December. And they may choose something like eight sports and hold tournaments in those. And, and how big is that? You know, in terms it's you know, how well attended is it, would you say? Yeah, like I mean, well, in, in on the city, on I, I think like on the Frankfurt tournament, yeah. when I used to go there'd be a couple of thousand people participating. Right. Right. So, you know, you've got eight sports. Like I went there to play basketball um, a few, um, like a few times. And, you know, in terms of basketball, there were always, you know, 10 or 12 teams competing okay. in the women's wow. tournament, you know, and then they would have like a football tournament. So, I mean, in, in Manchester, in its heyday, there were a, a couple of thousand people coming to Manchester right. to take part in um, to take part in um, the, the city tournament that was called Pride Games. OK, so so it was set up by these volunteers. I got involved in it in my role with this this charity that I was working with at the time, doing some some sort of add on some sort of fringe events, I suppose. Um, I can and see then, where this is going a little bit. It's coming together <laughs> again, isn't it? Like it does in your your story. Yeah, totally. And then um, and then basically the the chair of the swimming club, a guy called Trevor, um, approached me and was just like, you know, we were kind of evaluating, you know, Pride Games, the first Pride Games, and how it had gone. And Trevor said to me, you know, Lou, um, you, you know. Um, we really need a bit more of a vehicle to this because it was so big this year and it was so stressful for all the volunteers. So we need to kind of, we need to put a bit more energy into this. And so we set up Pride Sports really as a vehicle for that event. Um, and then really, really quickly. So we kind of set that up in 2006 and kind of really quickly, I think, because we were 
the only organization that was like an LG at the time LGBT right. um, sports organization. Um, we really quickly saw a need to start, you, you know, to start talking about, you know, the exclusion that people were facing. So, so Lou, what, what is it that you bring to this? You know, why, why uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm smiling in a sense of, you know, there seems to be like, oh, lots of fortuitous things happen. But I, I don't think that's the case. I think there's something that there's within you or why does Trevor come to you? What is it about you that some of our listeners might go, wow, you know, I can see why they chose Lou or what's the attributes or qualities that she brings to these development roles and making things happen how would you describe that um i think i think i'm i think i'm enthusiastic i love a i love a new idea i'm very inspired by new things so um you know so i i i know i i remember a colleague we we did we had a celebration event for football versus homophobia we had like 10 years of the campaign um a, a, a year and a half or so ago and we got colleagues to say you know why they'd supported football versus homophobia why they've been involved and i remember one one colleague who i know really well said oh you know we love his quote was something like we love football versus homophobia there's always great ideas there and i just thought yeah actually we've got really we've always got really good ideas you know um we could you know we there's other things that so for example you know, I when I when I worked in the housing job, developing the housing thing, the, the housing project, when that came to an end, everybody said to me, oh, you know, so are you going to go for the, the, the housing manager's job, Lou? And I was like, oh, no, I can't think of anything worse than, you know, housing management. Oh, no. And, you know, I know that I would be bored stiff. You know, it, it just didn't appeal to me at all. And so in the time after that, I became a freelancer and I just worked a whole load of different projects um, over, over, over the years. And, you know, and that's the kind of, I suppose that's the person that I am. I, I will run with an idea. If I think, if I believe in something, I will run with it and make it happen. So I think that that's possibly what Trevor saw in me. You know what, the connection I also make Lou, and I might be wrong here, but there's something about the variety of things that you've done and how you can call on all those different experiences to to kind of help play out. And and the other connection, and I, this is just a, a, a real long shot, but, you know, you, you mentioned about your dad being kind of art and sport. And I wonder if there's something about creativity and sport and how bringing those kind of attributes together really fires together. <laughs> yeah, you know, I that that I think that's really on the nail, actually, because I think that, um, you know, um, I work, you know, at Pride Sports, um, you know, when I'm working with at Pride Sports, one of the people who works most consistently um, on, you know, for the organisation as an as an associate um, is my colleague Jen, and she's a graphic designer. Right. So she does loads of graphic design, but she also does, um, but she also does like loads of boring admin. Bless her as well. So I'm <laughs> forever grateful to her. But um, but you, you know, one of the things I think about, um, you know, maybe about certainly about football versus homophobia is that it's a very visual campaign. 
and that we work, you know, we work in quite a visual way. So I do think there's something about creativity in the kind of visual sense. But I also think I, I also think you're right about that. That just the, the creation of projects, the, the 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 creation of solutions to problems that we've identified, I find really I find really inspiring, I think, and exciting yeah. and motivating. And, and I think you also paint for me a lovely picture about, you know, a senior leader in an organisation, albeit, you know, very voluntary, but you've got to work really, you've worked really hard to keep the various projects afloat, haven't you? Because it's it's challenging in the environment, but having that creative spirit as a, as a leader, as a developer, as well as the kind of the nuts and bolts of running the system, you know, are, are absolutely crucial for for any leaders listening out there, isn't they? In terms of thinking about what is what do they need and how can they gel bits together? Yeah, yeah, right, the, uh, d- definitely. And I mean to to say that um, you know, it's not been you know, I've been working in LGBTIQ plus inclusion and sport and physical activity for fifteen years. Right five of those years or four or five of those years predated the Equality Act in the UK and it has not been an easy gig. You know, we we held the first ever kind of conference um, that brought together um, community people who were delivering sport and physical activity in the LGBTIQ plus sector with people from national governing bodies for the first time in 2008. And, you know, that was the first time that NGBs had had anything to do with these people, you know, that were delivering sport in the community to one of the most marginalised groups of people in terms of sport and physical activity. And, you know, and it has been a slog. You're right. And I think that, um, and I think, yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe, maybe it is the variety the variety of of work, you, you know, um, that we that that I have to do. So you know, there there are moments that are absolutely hilarious in my life where, <laughs> you know, like I, I remember just before lockdown, I was um, speaking at the chairman's reception for LGBT History Month um, at Wembley one evening. And that morning, I'd just spent all morning stuffing envelopes with rainbow footballs because um, February's the football versus homophobia month of action. And we were like sending out rainbow footballs in campaign packs to grassroots clubs. And, you know, on the way to the station to go to Wembley to chair this reception on behalf of the chairman, I was like going to the post office and like having to stick all these rainbow footballs. So there is, there is, something there as well for me about the variety of stuff absolutely keeps me going as well but, you know? but I, I you know I also want to kind of applaud for me the sort of the groundedness isn't there and the, the reality in the, in the role that you're in of having to really get your hands dirty aren't you and become very operational and then it, sometimes you're very strategic or you know yeah, out there as a yeah. thought leader in the industry it's gosh it must be such a variety on a day-to-day basis yeah. Yeah, and well, it, it, it really is, it really is. And going back to your kind of insight about kind of creativity, I think the other thing as well for me is that, um, so on a, on a level around sport, there's something for me, I think as a person about not being too much in my head. Okay, yeah. So for example, you know, 
now to keep fit, you know, I, I, I jog, I suppose. Yeah. Let's call it what it actually is. <laughs> um, I'd like to call it running, but, you know, I've been overtaken by, you know, <laughs> older people going out for a stroll, I think. Um, but, you know, um, I, you know, I know that, for example, if I'm, if I'm running, um, a certain distance, you know, you get that thing where all of a sudden you, you're you're not really aware that you're running. Yeah. You know, if you're not pushing yourself, you're not really, you get into your rhythm, you're in your head, blah, blah, blah. And I think that, um, and I think that I always get two thirds of the way through any kind of like endurance thing, any kind of like long distance run. And two thirds of the way through the run is always my best moment. You know, right. it's always the point at which I think, oh my gosh, oh, you know, I can't, I'm not going to make this. Yeah, I can't die. It. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm going to die. All of those things, you know. And then I, I just kind of go through this big dip and then, and then up again. Um, and I think, you know, partly, uh, partly that is that I think that I need to be grounded in some getting my hands dirty as a person. Right. I think I am that kind of person. And I think that I'm lucky to have a real diversity of roles. So there's something very, as you said, very grounding about packaging up a load of footballs yeah. or, you know, um, or putting together, uh, you know, conference packs for our next conference, which I will do as well as open the conference, yeah. which, which is really good for me as a person. Again, you know, there's something really humbling, but also really important for me in terms of, you know, the, the, the principle about not losing sight of what, what it's all about. Actually, yeah. you know, and, you know, sending out the packs and really trying to make a difference to the, the client base, the colleagues, the stakeholders, the, the audience, the, you know, the communities out there. Sounds like, you know, that's your purpose there, isn't that's the organization's purpose. So I really love the idea of, you know, it's like, wh why do not more leaders get out of their kind of their ivory towers and actually get their hands dirty to not lose sight of what it's like on the shop floor or, you know, that's kind of the principle. Yeah, yeah, I suppose, uh, you know, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to criticise anybody yeah. for not doing that. But, but for example, um, one of the, one of the events that we're involved in every year is something called Pride Youth Games. And we run that with our sister organisations in Scotland and in Wales. And it's just, it's such a brilliant event to go to because it's the kind of queerest sport event <laughs> that you can be part of because, you know, half the young people turn up, they haven't got proper trainers, you stuff, know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they haven't got stuff. And they go and they take part in sport and physical activity and all our coaches, whoever they are, and they may be people that, you know, don't have a history with our community. We, we brief them beforehand, but we always get amazing coaches to work with our young people. And these young people who are just like, oh no, don't do sport. You know, it's really homophobic or it's really transphobic, you know, oh, stupid, stupid rules about trans people taking part in sport or, oh, I'm non-binary, I hate sport. Where do I fit into gendered sport? You know, they come along and they just take part in this fantastic mixed weekend of sport and physical activity. And, um, you know, like, I, I just remember, like, the, the, 
the last version pre-COVID was in Manchester and we had um, a fantastic golf coach from Manchester um, who came along and uh, uh, he's just great. I've worked with him in loads of different situations. And and when, when he finished his session with the young people, he came in and it'd been chucking it down with rain. It was like the worst day ever. <laughs> and um, and I was like, oh, you know, how did it go? How did the session go? And uh, and he was like, oh, you know, Lou, it was quite good. He said, because when all the young people turned up for their sessions throughout the day, they'd turn up and they'd be like, oh, this is really easy. All you've got to do is get a ball. <laughs> and he said, you know, and then he said, and then he started working with them and teaching them actually how to hold the club, I guess, and hit the ball properly. And, you know, there was that beautiful thing where they were like, oh no, actually this isn't really easy. (laughs) It's actually quite difficult. And then they, and then they got better at it. Well, making a difference again, isn't it? You can make a difference. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. So by the end of the session, they'd gone through that thing you know yeah. they've gone through the oh anyone could do this it's just whacking a ball to oh no this is really difficult I can't do it and then they were coached and then they were kind of like oh wow I can you know did you see how I did that oh that's you know what oh, it's really great and, and just young people being so delighted with the experience yeah, of, yeah. of of taking part in, in that and so you know we didn't have that this year obviously because yeah, yeah. of Covid and we all really missed it. And what, what's really brilliant is like some of the youth leaders in the summer who bring the young people and work with us over the weekend were on social media, were tweeting, oh, we're really missing Pride <laughs> Games this year. It's so sad, you know, it's such a brilliant event. And it is because it's literally the most empowering thing. Well, so it, being I, able to go to something like that really grounds you. Well, and, and I'm coming back to a point that struck me earlier on around sort of avenues and opportunities. And, you know, the, the population you're working with there often have had those avenues and opportunities cut off or not positioned. And I just sound like, you know, by creating an environment where people can go into and have a go and feel unthreatened, albeit it's a quite a challenging environment. It just sounds fantastic, you know, and, and clearly, again, playing to your mantra of making a difference. It just sounds like it, it ticks all those kind of boxes. Which is great. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, it does. Lou, I, I can't not ask you this question, but, you know, in these last 15 years where you mentioned a bit earlier on about the struggle, you know, and how you've, you're, you're, you know, you've put so much energy, what, what would you say has been one of your proudest moments, you know, one of the biggest things that you've managed to kind of nail for you? I think, um, I, I suppose, I, I suppose what is... I don't know whether there's a a proudest, I, whether I've got a proudest moment particularly, but I think I can now, I've been doing it for so long, I can see the change. Right. You know what I mean? It's incremental so now, kind of stuff, the changes. Yeah, 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 yeah. So now, you know, now, for example, you've got um, active partnerships in the UK doing their own work around LGBTIQ plus inclusion. It's nothing to do with us. Right. You know, it, they, they've done it on their own because they wanted to do it, but they wouldn't have been doing that, in my opinion, if we hadn't been working yeah. for the last 15 years to get this on, to get LGBTIQ plus inclusion on the agenda. Gender. That's what I think. And, and you know, I'm not just singling out those active partnerships who are doing brilliant work. And as I say, it's nothing to do with us. 
yeah. you know, directly. But it's about we have created an environment in which those things are possible. Yeah. And, and I see that in lots of areas of our work, you know, that these things, you, you know, um, you know, sometimes it's frustrating. I had a conversation with somebody a couple of days ago and I was a bit like, oh dear, you're teaching your grandmother how to play. <laughs> but on some levels, you've got to take that as a huge compliment, haven't you? Because, you know, if that person, much younger person, feels really empowered and, and, and feels that they've got that knowledge and that they should be telling me that, that they've got that knowledge, you know, I know that some of that knowledge has come from the work that we've done. And I, and you give me a real sense there of, of having to have that real um, intrinsic ratification, you know, in terms of, you know, you, you know you've done a great job and how it spills out. You might never quite know because people are not going to come and say you've done a great job, but you know you've rippled out and you, yeah. you have had an impact and you've got to be quite, I guess, quite solid, haven't you, in what you're doing and your belief, knowing that actually you are making a difference. Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, it's really nice to be thanked. Don't yeah. get me wrong. You yeah, know, no, absolutely. It's really, it's really nice when we evaluate our conference, for example, or we evaluate a series of webinars we've just run and everyone's scoring it really highly. You know, that's lovely. Of course, that that that's really good. But um, But yeah, I think, you know, being in a position now where, you know, there are other stakeholders in the space, there was like, maybe two tiny weeny little voluntary organizations when we set up you know yeah. or no maybe there was nothing when we set up you know but now you know it I, I think one of the challenges is that you know when I first started work in this field and then other people came along and said oh we're going to do this work um I remember feeling really defensive and really threatened because you know there's also something about you know when there's very when, when there was very little acknowledgement in the space and very little funding um you know we were all scrabbling around fighting, fighting for the same for the same pot kind yeah, of stuff yeah 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 totally totally so it was really easy to feel really threatened by those things and i think the joy now is that after you know the the, the amount of time that we've been working in the space new new people new organizations pop up along the way and some of them disappear again and and we're just we're kind of we're just a bit more used to it now you yeah. know so it just and i also think you know i also now know that sport and physical activity is enormous yeah there are not enough places that are fully inclusive of my community yeah and there can't be too many people doing the work yeah, yeah. So the more the merrier, nearly now, isn't it? Yeah. Come on board yeah, and help yeah. us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah exactly. and it's not—it's not competition; it's collaboration, nearly yeah. now, isn't it? Yeah, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And I mean, we've always worked in a really collaborative way. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. so I've never said to anyone who's come along and started working in the sector, "Oh no, we're not going to work with you," <laughs> you know. But I felt a bit like, "Go away, go away." Yeah. Within this is our tiny little area, and now I'm just a bit more relaxed about that and um you know and and just think that you know if there were 100 organizations doing this work it would only be a good thing yeah look during the hard times how, how do you pull yourself through um by talking to people right. really by talking and getting perspective i think absolutely so 
that you know i am a people person and um you know sometimes it's not easy to talk about things and you know and i do carry some things that i should let go of more you know but i think um i think talking to people i think um you, you know doing doing things it sounds so corny but just doing things like physical exercise really yeah. so you know going out and pounding it down some late lanes in mid wales you know or going out for a re- you know i i live in the foothills of the brecon beacon so going out walking up some hills getting out of breath yeah. there is nothing as brilliant as getting out of breath is yeah. there fundamentally it, that's it, the it, it's a proper reset button that isn't it <laughs> yeah 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 it really is do you know what? And as you're talking here, I would like to give you my thoughts. And, you know, you're talking there about the developing the organisation from a, a, an early start and the, you know, trying to hold on to the space. But there's something really positive for me in some ways of being a groundbreaker. And, I, you know, I know it's a grand word, but somebody has to hold the space and, and push it forward. And it feels like the ground's been broken, you know, and now we're, we're on, on our way. But, you know, I, I don't know if anybody's ever attributed that to you in the work that you do as being groundbreaking and and you know positive in that sense yeah you know uh, the thing is i don't think anyone said oh you're such a groundbreaker but we have broken ground i mean we we absolutely have (laughs) you know uh, so it doesn't feel to me to be a grandiose thing or arrogant to say that in any way because nobody was doing this work you know um we and and now, you know, as I say, we've got sister organisations yeah. in Scotland, Leap Sports Scotland do amazing work. You know, it's some better work than us in some areas, yeah. you know, definitely. Um, you know, there's also, you know, a much smaller organisation that's just volunteer run in, um, uh, in Wales called LGBT Sport Cymru. Um, but there are, you, you know, the... the you know, those organisations, I know those organisations wouldn't have existed, yeah. really, if um, if we hadn't broken the ground. ground. So what do you see for you and for maybe for Pride Sport and the and the, the kind of the community for the next four or five years? What do you see as both opportunities or threats going forward? Um, I think I think the threat, the threat always tends to be that we are we are um, quite an invisible minority. Okay. Um, so we can be overlooked. I think there's, um, we're in a terrible time in the UK at the moment with a lot of anti-trans activity. Right. And a lot of that is being targeted at women's sport. And that's really, really tragic. You know, uh, I just think for the four or five years ago in women's sport, we were talking about in sport rather we were talking about you know the really small margins of difference between men's and women's sport and actually in some sports there was no margin of you you know performance margin at all and now you know the whole narrative is oh we've got to protect women's sport because women are so weak and women are so slow and women are so small and it's such a it's such a retrograde step yeah. As far as I'm concerned, you know, in relation to a tiny, tiny yeah. little marginalised community that are actually no threat to anybody whatsoever. 
So I think we've got so much work to do in that space. I think um, we are seeing a growth in, um, we're, we're seeing a growth in kind of um, hate speech, homophobia, uh, biphobia, transphobia on social media. I think we are living in quite strange times. Mm -hmm. and, and the other thing I need to say at this point is because I've worked internationally for a number of years, um, yeah. mainly voluntarily, although Pride Sports does get asked to speak at a lot of events internationally as well. Yeah. But because I've worked internationally, you know, really since about 2008, I suppose, yeah. um, you, you know, I'm aware that there are societies in which LGBTIQ plus human rights have gone backwards. You know, we only need to look at places like Russia, Turkey, Hungary, um, some of those societies, you know, where in the 1990s, you know, it was Poland, for example. Yeah. I mean, I went to play basketball with a queer basketball team. I went to play basketball in Poland, maybe, you know, about eight years ago or something. And it was all a bit groundbreaking and exciting because we weren't in Warsaw. We were in Wrocław. Right. And so it was a bit out there, you know, being a queer basketball team, turning up, we played this exhibition match against the local team. And, and there was, you know, uh, anyway, so we did that. And now you look at, you know, there's LGBT free zones in Poland. So, um, so yeah, so I am constantly aware, I suppose, of that of reversibility, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. the reversibility of human rights, yeah. the, the reversibility of inclusion. Yeah. Um, and know. actually, we've got to keep moving forward, otherwise we very easily will start moving backwards as a, yeah, as a, yeah, as a community. Yeah, 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 totally. And people say, you know, people say, oh, you know, um, you know, you know, what's your hope? Is your hope that one day pride sports will never be needed? And I just think, oh, that's pie in the sky. You know, because the way the world exists, yeah. you know, we will always be a minority and we will always have to fight for our voices to be heard. Yeah. Because worst case scenario will be ignored and overlooked. And, um, and or best case scenario will be ignored and overlooked. And yeah. worst case scenario, somebody will come and try and deny us our rights. Wow. Well, I'm conscious of one of the great projects which we're coming to now and I, I didn't I didn't want us to finish off without just touching on the the football versus homophobic project which is coming to the fore in, in February so um can yeah. you just tell us a little bit more about that just before we we get to a, a few quick fire questions I'd like to post to you because I just think that's such a huge project for you and I know you've put so much energy into it so yeah um so um uh, February is the Football versus Homophobia Month of Action. It started off as a day of action, became a week of action, then two weeks, now it's a month. So, <laughs> Be a um, year soon. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So, well, we work all year round um, <laughs> through that brand anyway, but in, in February we have our month of action. It's a little bit odd this year because ordinarily what we do is we invite um, the whole of football to get involved to take a specific action um to um to make football more inclusive so unlike other campaigns which are all about you know visuals visible um demonstrations of support there's a bit of that in our campaign a bit of visible demonstrations of support but for example our grassroots campaign um, asked people to designate a game as a visible show of support 
but it also asked them to take a pledge um, to do one thing to make their club more LGBTIQ plus inclusive. And then we, we send all the clubs out a campaign pack. There's only about eight things in there. We're kind of like, here are some ideas of things that yeah, you really. can do to make your club more inclusive and welcoming. And, you know, you know, just to help people on the way. Um, and, um, and, and just a great, a great focal point really for people to think, uh, to become more conscious about what they can do. Um, but we also insist that people do one thing. We don't want, you know, oh, we'll give you a tweet or we'll change our icon to rainbow colors. We, you know, it's kind of like, we ask you to do things. So this month, because, um, you know, because there's no, no grassroots football taking place, um, we're doing some work um, with some professional clubs behind the scenes, some kind of educational work. Right. And then we've also got a load of kind of online webinars taking place um, over the next kind of over the next four weeks. We've got um, a launch um, on this Saturday, um, Charlton Athletic Football Club. Are, um, are, um, are launching the month of action and they're live streaming that through their Twitter account for oh, us, brilliant. which is great. Um, on the 5th uh, of, um, we, um, last year we launched some awards because we feel like we've been around so long now, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, that it's time that it's time that somebody started, started to acknowledge the good work that's yeah. taking place in the sector. So we've got some awards coming up um, on the 5th. We, we've shortlisted those and uh, publicised those and we'll, we'll be announcing the winners on the evening of the 5th. Um, and then right towards the end of the month of action, 24th, 25th of February, we've got an international conference. What's next for LGBTIQ um, uh, inclusion in football? And that's an international conference with, um, with the FAIR Network. Um, so yeah, loads, loads happening. Hopefully everyone hasn't got Zoom fatigue and doesn't want to doesn't want to get involved because we'd love to see as many people as possible. Involved. Well, what what, re what really strikes me, Lou, again, is coming back to that. You know, times are a bit of a challenge at the moment with, as you say, less grassroots stuff going on. So you've you've pulled on the the creativity card, you know, and you've you you've, you might take a slightly different approach this year, you know. But I guess next year we'll look out for um. Hopefully, let's be back on the fields and doing something different yet again. But you know. You're clearly making a really good go of um, engaging and keeping the, the the noise and the messages out there and supporting the community. So uh, great stuff. And, you know, what I'd like to do is just wish you good luck with that and also to offer our support where we can. Lou, I, I want to just close us down now a little. And, and I want to play on the idea again. You know, you, you're really good. And um, one of your key beliefs is making a difference. So I'm just going to ask you one or two questions, if I could, in terms of um, any tips or advice that you might give to our listeners around helping them? And and what I mean by that is, you know, my first question would be, you know, has there been any kind of resources or books or places of reference which have really influenced you either recently or over the past, which you might steer somebody who's been really taken by your story and would like to go and find out a bit more or? Um, 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 blank. Um, blank, okay. <laughs> um, I think um, I think in terms of resources um, that in, that resources that have helped me, yeah. I would say the, the best resources that we have are the people around us. Okay. So yeah. you, you know, I will if I find um, 
you know, I'm somebody who always likes to talk things through with people. And, And not everybody is that person, but talking things through with people just always gives you the most amazing perspective. So, yeah, and and what what I mean by that is not only people involved in your organisation. You know, I'm also not frightened to reach out to people in partner organisations as well. So, you know, my colleague Hugh at Leap Sports Scotland, bless him, probably <laughs> has me muted on WhatsApp. And you've, got, <laughs> and you've got a hotline into him, have you? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Uh, but you, you know, because because if I'm unsure of things, then you know, I think don't be afraid afraid to ask advice from yeah. people or 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 to consult with people um, because we can get really caught up about you know being leaders and and not not asking for help or not asking for support. And I think that the capacity to do that is really really um, really important. Yeah. And you know, for some people, it will be reading. You know, some people will need to go away and read something and that will you know um make a real difference to them i know a chief exec who really likes to kind of read through you know um read through books that for senior leaders that are that that are kind of advice guides and i i am not that person you know i i i like her to read the book and then i like to ask her for advice so (laughs) somebody should do the hard work for you and and interpret it and summarize it (laughs) yeah totally how does it work for you again yeah, yeah. I'll, do I'll do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, well, I, I think that really plays, though, to actually a lot of my philosophy in terms of what we're doing with sports stories and really promoting the idea of coaching and mentoring or, you know, that idea of actually having a sounding board, whether it's a, a formal relationship or informal or a colleague even, you know, but that coaching and mentoring doesn't need to always be formal. But, you know, that's something that I'm really keen to promote and offer as well because I just see there's so much value in it and it's lovely to hear you sort of advocate and support that approach. Yeah definitely and and you know the other thing to say is as well I know that I will look back on this conversation and I will have definitely got something from it you know I will have you will have made me think about something in a new way you will have made me discover something about myself that I haven't really reflected on properly before so you, you, you know, yeah, definitely um, talking to people, having conversations like these with people like you make a massive difference. Oh, Lou, I've been blown away by your um, your humour, your honesty, actually, and also your journey uh, and the, the the meandering of it, actually. And I really like that because I think it, you've painted a lovely picture in terms of actually people's careers and lives are not always very linear they go all over the place but you know they do sometimes start to make sense or we can start driving them what advice would you now give if you were to look back to a teenage version of yourself so you know somebody who's looking back going gosh I just need a few tips or a bit of advice is there any advice that you would give to yourself that others might sort of hook on to slightly take a big deep breath I think (laughs) (laughs) would be the first thing um and I think you know, I think I was quite a nervous young person and I think it's taken me, you know, my I, my advice to myself would be you will grow into yourself. Don't panic. You will absolutely grow into yourself. Right. And and also, you know, you know, what I've come to learn, I suppose, is that I have been, that the things that 
when I was in, when I was a teenager, you know, I've always been, you know, I'm five, about, I'm shrinking now, but I used to be about five eleven. You know, I'm a, I'm a big woman. I look different to a lot of women. You know, when I was a teenager, that was mortifying because you know I always felt like Hagrid. You know, well, so, well mm. Hagrid didn't exist then, but you know, yeah. I always felt like a big giant. You know, yes. and out of place and. I was quite loud and, and I felt like I was too much. Right. And, um, and I think, you know, uh, that was a really disconcerting time for me and struggling with my sexuality. So all I want to say to my teenage self is it will all be all right. Trust uh, the process be... nearly. Yes. Yeah, I know definitely. it's a, I know it's a throwaway comment, but nearly and enjoy. I know those aren't your words, but my words kind of nearly try and enjoy the process as best you can. I know it's hard, but it's yeah. I know yes, and I really agree with you. And I think I would say to myself as well, you're actually more resilient than you know. Okay, lovely. You know, so I think that's that's a, a, a thing, a, a lesson in life, isn't it? As we get older, it's yeah. actually as things come to challenge you. You know, you don't fall into small, tiny pieces in the way that you think you're going to necessarily. Look, you've shared your sports story or your story. And as we've meandered in and out of the world of sport, but that, you know, it's more about you as an individual or the, the journey you've been on. Is there anybody in your world who you'd think you'd love to know more about their story or you think the listeners might like to know? So whose sports story might we bounce onto? Wow. Uh, oh, I think there are there are just so many there are so many great people out there. You know, there's there's so many there's 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 so many good people um, that that I would talk to. I think from um, from my um, perspective, I think Veronica Ivy, who is a trans track cyclist uh, based in the US, she is amazing. She spoke at our conference a couple of years ago and she's, her story's fascinating because she's like a world record holder in her, um, in her category, um, in her master's category now. Um, but she, she didn't have a direct route either. So she came through badminton initially. So, uh, so she- Don't tell anymore, don't tell anymore. Oh, we'll try and find okay. out. <laughs> yeah, so she, she's an amazing, uh, she's an amazing person to to listen to, I think. So Great. there you are. That I I will. Uh, there you are. I will put all my money on speaking to Veronica Ivy. Oh well, no, thank you for that. And and I guess my very last sort of offer to you would be, you know, look, you, as I've already said, I've been blown away by your story and the great work you're doing and the energy that you've put into it. You know, should. Should any of our listeners be interested to find out a little bit more about what you're doing, but also what Pride Sports doing and is all about, how might they be able to either find out about you or contact you? Okay, so the best way to get in touch with us is via email and it's info at pridesports.org.uk. Um, our website is obviously www.pridesports.org.uk. We're on Twitter at Pride Sports UK, um, and then um, and then if you're particularly interested in our work in football, um, we're um, football versus footballvhomophobia.com, um, and um, on Twitter as at fbhtweet. So lots of different avenues there. 
Well, Luke, you know, good good luck over the next month and again over the next year as during the challenging times. But, you know, you, you've lived through many challenging times, so I'm, I'm sure this one's not going to be any different and you'll just keep on plugging away and doing the great work that you are doing. And it just leads me to say a really massive thanks for, for sharing your, your journey and your story. And, you know, I'd love to have you back on again at some stage in, who knows, in 18 months, a year or two's time where we can sort of catch up and see where the journeys continue to not not just for you but also for the organization but you know thanks ever so much Brilliant. no thanks so much for having me on great stuff take care and look after yourself thank you will do wow well i wasn't disappointed there bringing human rights and sport together through loose story was just amazing and fantastic and truly engaging i don't know about you but for me it wasn't disappointing she was really engaging really passionate inspirational infectious, really wants to make a difference. And in summary, I really believe that she was quite groundbreaking in the work that she is doing and has done over the past 15 years and even longer. The work around the LGBTIQ plus community and the difference that she's making and has continued to make, is just incredible. It's really made me consider a number of things around how I feel within sort of marginalized or minority groups and what it might be like to be part of that or also to work and support another of those types of groups. The other thing that really struck me today was about how she grew up and the impact her father and her family had on her and what it was like for her before she came out, but also after having come out into her twenties when she was at university and the environments and the journey that she went on. Lou really epitomized for me the idea of self-awareness and how she had personally grown and her curiosity to learn and develop and continue to find out more about who she is and what she's all about. I think that's a journey that we're all on in so many ways in terms of actually who am I and how do I turn up in the world and Lou for me today really epitomized again how she talked about her journey, her openness, her frankness about her sexuality, about some of the challenges she's had in the roles that she's played but also her true resilience and her determination and power to move things forward and make a difference in the world. It was just a completely engaging, fascinating story for me. And what was really key as well is that it wasn't just in sport, it was also about how she turns up in the world as a leader, as a woman, as a person actually, and how she can actually drive things forward. So there's many principles and takeaways for all of us, whether we're a parent, a teacher, a coach, a leader, or an athlete. Okay, so for me, what a great story to take. I really hope you got something out of it. What I would ask you to do now is just to take a few minutes to reflect on the questions I'd like to pose. And today's questions I'd like to pose are, firstly, how do you join the dots up or join the dots back in order to make sense of your life so far to inform your future? And secondly, when have you been in a minority group or a community? How did it feel? I wonder what it would be like to consider a perspective from both the majority and or the minority perspective. What may you do differently as a result of that? I really think it's important when they talk about the idea of stepping into somebody else's shoes is to not lose sight of your shoes. So look through their shoes and yours or look from their shoes and look from yours. I think it's really important to consider both perspectives. So there we have it, a couple of big questions. And as always, I pose the questions with the intent of really helping you move things forward for you. Without just taking the information and not taking any action, then we won't really reap the rewards and the benefits. So please consider the questions and take some action. In order to really help you do that, we offer a coaching and mentoring services. So please consider that. And to find out more details, why not have a look on our website, which is www.sportstories247.com. 
And more broadly, if you're interested in the work that I'm doing and also what Sports Stories is doing, please have a look at all the usual social media channels. We're on Twitter, LinkedIn and Facebook, and it'd be great to have you engage with us a little bit more. Now, it would be rude of me not to finish off by saying a massive thanks to today's guest, Lou Englefield. And obviously with all our other guests and Lou, we wouldn't have a really great backlog of stories and inspiration, education with the help to really help you move things forward. So thanks again to everybody that's been involved, but more importantly also to thank you, the listeners. So without you engaging, listening, offering feedback and asking and requesting how we can move things forward, then the whole sports stories movement would not have the value it has today. So thank you very much. Lastly, though, we're coming towards the end of series four. We have a great guest lined up for our last one next week, which is an individual who's been involved with, can you believe it, six Olympic games. So what a great story that will be. Please engage, bring the best version of yourself along, your curiosity and your willingness to learn, and I'm sure you'll get loads of value out of that. So it ends up with me saying, have a great week, look after yourself, keep curious, keep learning, consider those questions that I've posed and please keep in touch. And I look forward to having you with me, Dave Levine, again next week for the last episode in series four. Take care and look after yourself. Bye for now.